dignity. But before I say anything about this topic, I want to start with a song that some of you might know. I'll put the words on the screen and uh, we'll not listen to the whole song, depending on your view of the song, that might be a bad or a good thing, but we're going to listen to part of it now, please. up our street He's a worker for the council Has been 20 years And he takes no lip of nobody And litter off the gutter Puts it in a bag And never thinks to mutter And he packs his lunch in a sunless bag The children call him boogie He never lets on But I know cause he once told me He let me know a secret About the money in his kitty He's gonna buy a dinghy Gonna call her Dignity And I'll sail her up the west coast Through villages and towns I'll be on the holidays They'll be doing the rounds They'll ask me how I got her I'll say, I saved my money For uh, a bonus point, does anyone know who that was? Yeah, I told you. I'm the only one who knows. No, it was Deacon Blue. The best thing ever to come out of Dundee. If you've ever been to Dundee, you'll know that that's true. It's a song about a rubbish collector. It's the kind of person that most people wouldn't even notice. The kind of person that kids feel comfortable making fun of. But inside, that song tells us he's just like all of us. He's looking for dignity. He's looking for some proof that his life matters. The dictionary defines dignity as having value and importance. Being worth something. And in the case of this man... He hopes to prove that he's worth something by buying a little boat, calling it dignity, and sailing up and down the coast. He hopes that that will prove his worth to others and to himself. But actually, it's quite a sad little story. Do we really have to save for half our lives to buy some dignity for ourselves? Well, if we step back and ask, what messages does our society give us about this question of dignity? The main message that we get is that our whole existence is just an accident. The universe, we're told, is no actual point. It's just here. And you and I are just collections of cells. We're very fascinating collections of cells, but we don't have any actual purpose. We're just here And we have to try to make the most of it. One scientist has described us as computers made of meat. 
So we can perform lots of useful functions, but when we come down to it, you and I don't have any more worth than your iPad. And if we accept that view, then when the day comes that we can't perform our useful functions anymore, then we are as expendable as yesterday's iPad. Computers made of meat. Does that make you feel dignified? Well, what if we move away from the scientific world? What about the world of business? Well, in that world, we are consumers. We are units on a spreadsheet who might buy iPads. And we can consume a wide range of products, from mortgages to hamburgers. But in the business world, each of us is no more than a source of revenue. If we can be persuaded to hand over our cash. We're consumers. Well, what about the internet, social media? Is there dignity waiting for us there? Actually, I think the internet just makes it easier for people to make fun of us from a safe distance. And very often it goes way beyond making fun. We could go on and on with this, but what I want to do is turn to the Bible. In the very beginning of the Bible... I'll put parts of it up on the screen. And when we turn to the beginning of the Bible, what it tells us is that every single one of us has inbuilt value. Whether we realize it or not, each one of us has been born with great dignity and importance. And in order to understand our dignity, we have to begin by looking away from ourselves to God. That's where the Bible starts. And here's the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It all starts with God. And in the Bible's case, it carries on and it ends with God too. The Bible is a God-centered book. It gives us a God-centered view of the world. It starts with God. And having given us that brief introduction, the rest of the first chapter of the Bible gives us more details about God creating the heavens and the earth. And we could spend the rest of our time discussing exactly how God did it. But not only would that take us into a different topic, it would mean having a discussion that Genesis chapter 1 is not really interested in having. Genesis 1 is not so interested in going into precisely how God made this world. It's interested in the fact that he did it. It wants us to know that everything apart from God exists because God made it. God is the one thing in the universe that doesn't depend on God for its existence. According to the Bible, God is the center of the universe. He's the most important being there is. In the ancient world, men and women would look up into the sky... And they were in awe of the great lights that they saw in the sky. And so they worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. But the Bible wants to set the record straight. Further down in Genesis 1 we read this. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. 
God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. The message is, don't worship the sun and moon. Worship the one who made the sun and the moon and the stars. If you're worshiping something that's not God, then you're making a mistake. Whatever it happens to be, God made it. So he deserves your worship. Then a little later on we read this. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The human race goes through recurring phases. One of its phases is to undervalue itself. We'll get to that in a moment. But we also have phases where we get a very high opinion of ourselves. Occasionally, as a race we'll achieve something significant, like walking on the moon, or getting our remote-controlled car onto Mars, or maybe discovering the cure for some terrible disease. We do those things when we begin to say to ourselves, we really are something. Look what we did. We're the masters of the universe. But the Bible says to us, yes, that was a big thing that you did. But understand this, God made you. He gave you your brains and your energy. He gave you every single raw material you used to achieve that big thing you did. And he made the planet your remote-controlled car is whizzing around on. God is the center of the universe. And the Bible does not insist on that because poor old God needs some reassurance or because he needs his ego stroked. That's not it at all. The Bible is very matter of fact. That's just the way it is. That's reality. That's the foundational truth of existence. And until we accept it, we are never going to get a true perspective on anything. It starts with God. We can't begin to make sense of our own existence until we get the point that God comes first. He's the center. And when we put him in his rightful place, when we give him his rightful place, then everything else falls into place. And that's why any discussion about our dignity has to start with God. The story that you and I are part of is his story. If we're going to understand ourselves... That's the first thing we have to get straight. God is the fixed center point of the universe. And it's only when we acknowledge that 
that we begin to see how we fit into the picture. A moment ago I said the human race goes through phases. One of those phases is thinking too highly of ourselves, thinking we are the center of the universe. But another phase we go through is thinking too little of ourselves. And at the moment, it's very popular to see human beings as no more special than any other life form on the planet. We're often informed about how similar we are to animals. And certainly at the level of DNA, we share a great deal with animals. But we also share a great deal with a bag of rice, apparently. Apparently, 50 to 60% of our DNA is the same as a banana. So actually, it's the differences that are significant. No matter how much you love talking to your cat or your bag of rice, would you really say it's the same as talking to another human being? You might prefer the cat sometimes. But do we seriously want to say cats and people are basically just the same? I think we all realize there is something unique about us. And the Bible helps us make sense of our uniqueness as humans. In the verses we read a moment ago, after describing everything else God created, Genesis 1 presents mankind, the human race, as the crowning achievement of God's creation. And it also points us to what makes us different. We are in his image. Somehow we're like him in a way that the rest of creation is not like him. In a moment we'll ask exactly what it means to be in God's image. But before even getting into that, we can see how significant this is. If we've grasped the fact that it starts with God, if we understand his place at the center of the universe, then to be told that we have a unique place in his creation, and that we're somehow like him, doesn't that give us special worth and value? It starts with God, and he made us like him. Genesis still makes it clear that he is the creator, and we are creatures. So we're not the same as him, we're not equal to him, but we are like him. So then, in what way are we like him? We're obviously not like him in every way. The text of Genesis 1 helps us. It tells us that God is the creator who rules over his creation. And it tells us he has made us to represent him in the midst of his creation. We are to be his delegated rulers. We go back to one of the verses we looked at. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. Then Genesis 2 goes on to focus in on the man's role in God's creation. It describes the Garden of Eden, and then it tells us this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and take care of it. So we know that the kind of rule we're talking about is not a harsh rule. It's not about taking advantage of creation. It's about taking care of it. 
And Genesis 2 tells us that man is not to be a loner. He's to do this work alongside others. We're told that God gave him a woman, Eve, to help him. So if we go back to the question of dignity, we can say that we not only have a special relation to God, we're not only like him in a way that nothing else is like him, we've also been given special responsibility to serve him in the midst of his creation. He made us to serve him. And maybe, I don't know, but maybe we bristle when we hear the word serve. But if we do, that just takes us back to our first point. If we understand God's rightful place in the universe, then we'll see that serving him is a privilege. There can be no greater dignity than serving the one who made us like him. The one who's given us unique responsibility in this world. Bob Dylan made the point that we got to serve somebody. That's just the way we're made. So the choice before us is not whether we serve someone or don't. The choice is, are we going to serve a harsh master, like money, for example, or maybe the good opinion of other people, Or are we going to serve the one who made us and knows us best? The one who, according to Genesis chapter 1, blesses us and gives and gives to us. Let's think about the other masters that we can serve. If we live to accumulate money, it's like feeding a beast that's never satisfied. If we live to have other people think well of us, then our life is like a roller coaster. We are at the mercy constantly of other people's reactions to us. We're under constant pressure to impress. But if we live to serve God, we're serving the one who lovingly made us and made us with a special dignity that he didn't give to anything else in creation. So it's only in serving God that we can find a deep confidence and a deep sense of worth. And that's not because of how great or how strong we are. It's because of how God sees us and relates to us. Before you developed your charming good looks or your finely tuned intellect or your impressive reputation, before any of those things, God made you. And the Bible says he made you special. He made you to represent him on this earth. And we can flip that picture around as well. Before you develop those looks that you're forever disappointed with, before you failed those exams, before you got passed over for a promotion or got turned down for another interview. Before any of those things, God made you and he made you special. He dignified you with worth and importance. 
You were made to serve the creator of the universe. And that dignity doesn't depend on how much you have or what other people think of you. We started briefly with a man in a song, picking litter off the gutter. He thought he had to save up and buy a boat to find some dignity for himself. He didn't know that he was born with dignity. He was made in the image of his creator. So, at this point, we could say, is that it? Have we got the point, if all of us go home and tomorrow we drive off to the office, if it hasn't snowed too much, or we change nappies, or we clean the house, and do all of it with a sense of our great dignity? Will we have got the point if that's what we take away? Well, not quite. Because if we fail to get God's position right then we are actually living in rebellion against him. Next time, in a month's time, our topic is our brokenness. And we're going to look at the third chapter of Genesis. That chapter explains how we got from the idyllic picture here in Genesis 1 and 2 to the world we live in today. But even before we get to chapter 3, I think we all know by experience that we love the idea of having dignity and worth, but we fight against the idea that God is the center of the universe. And that is not just true of self-confident people who put themselves forward. It can be equally true of shy, quiet people. We can spend our whole time in depression because we think so-and-so didn't treat us right. We didn't get what we deserved. This person didn't notice us. Or because a certain person has the good looks and the fame that we wish we had. But don't you see that that is putting ourselves at the center of the universe? You don't have to be Simon Cowell to be self-absorbed. You can be equally self-absorbed watching Simon Cowell and wishing that you had what he has. All of us have an addiction to putting ourselves at the center of the universe. But that position doesn't belong to us. That spot is taken. It's God's position. And every time we live like it's our spot, we're not only undermining the whole source of our dignity, we're rebelling against God. And the Bible's word for it is sin. I know maybe we hear the word sin and we think of murder and stealing. And those are sins. But the root of those sins and every other sin is putting ourselves in God's place. And when we do that, it separates us from him. It puts us in a wrong relationship to him. And that's where Jesus comes into the picture. We haven't mentioned him up to this point. But when it comes to our broken relationship with God, we have to mention Jesus. The Bible says he died to reconcile us to God. We are the rebels, but he received the rebels' punishment. And he did it willingly so we can be forgiven for our rebellion. 
And so we can be brought into a right relationship with God. When we put our trust in what Jesus did, we can begin to live as we were created to live. No longer trying to put ourselves in God's place, but giving him his rightful place. And then finding our true worth in serving him. The Bible tells us that we are not just random collections of cells. We're not just consumers. We were made by God and for God. That's what gives us our dignity. And that is all that I have planned to say this evening. But I do want to give an opportunity, if there are any questions at this point, or questions that have been thrown up by what I said, or maybe you saw the topic ahead of time and came with a question. Yes. Does it sound very abstract that you have dignity because of serving God? Whereas in normal life, people get, say on the internet, on Facebook, you get your likes because of what you do or what you look like. That works. So it is a bit abstract. Well, I think the key thing is what you've just mentioned, and in case you didn't catch that, what, mention, what Martin mentioned was on Facebook we get kind of an instant <coughs> kickback because we get likes for things. I guess the key thing is that's pretty unstable in the sense that things can turn around in the course of a day. You can be well-liked. One, I mean... Aside from even Facebook, it's true if we depend on other people to feed our sense of worth, it's pretty fragile ground and and it can turn around in the course of a few moments. So I agree with you, it's instant and instant highs and equally instant lows if we're depending on likes from other people. And so I think what we're dealing with and what the Bible is presenting to us, it's something much, much deeper and more foundational than that. If we think of this guy in the song, the world thought nothing of him. And how many people in the world are in exactly the same position? The world gives them no value. And yet the message of the Bible is, if you have nothing and you have nothing in other people's eyes, you still have the dignity that you were born with. So I think it's, it's basically a dignity that's left even when everything else is stripped away. And so I think that is 
maybe it sounds abstract, but I think it's actually much more powerful than all the other things we look to which can change so quickly. Yeah, and I certainly agree that I'm sure all of us fall down in in recognizing that. But I would say that the other perspective on it is, and this is something that I think statistically is true, if you look at the people in the world, both in our society and around the world, who are working with those who have no value in the eyes of the world, it tends to be Christians who will go to the places and work with the people that no one else is prepared to give time to. And I think even uh, the government admits that to some degree in our country, working with people that have just fallen off the edge in terms of having worth to society, it does tend to be Christians. And I think that's because we have this perspective from the Bible that others tend not to have. Yes. Well, I think it's probably a case, the question was, when someone becomes a Christian, do they have maybe a, would you say, a fuller dignity? Was it? Well, I think the issue, the main issue is that we are out of relationship with God, and I think that's where the, we're restored to that, and so we're maybe able to fulfill our purpose in the world more fully. But I think we always have the dignity, even when we're in rebellion against God, it's, it's God's goodness to us that he's made every single human being, even those who hate him the most, have an amazing dignity that he's given to them, even though they don't see it or acknowledge it. So. 
Definitely not. Yes, I mean, I think one of the things, the, the third point there, he made us to serve him. So when we are, when we recognize God's place and we see our role in life, not as to build a kingdom for ourselves, but to, to serve him, then in that sense, everything we do becomes dignified and it becomes service. So Jesus spoke about giving a cup of cold water to someone in need. That's a dignified work that we do when it's being done to God. So in that sense, we can be working and there's no thought that it's going to God and we can be doing something that which seems to be a lot less spectacular, but there's, there's more dignity in it because it's in the service of God. I mean, that's not to say, I know that there are kinds of situations in work that are dehumanizing and I'm not saying that that's good. There are, there are work situations that need to be changed and it's right that we pressure and campaign to get people's working situations better. But I think the point is, even if, if you're in a terrible situation, your dignity is still there, even if, if you're being treated as inhuman. That's probably not answering your question. But, but I think that the whole Bible does dignify our work. It's not a case that work only came into the world when sin came into the world. It was there from the beginning. We're meant to be servants of God working for him and we will be, I think, in eternity as well, the Bible seems to say. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you.
savages, so we didn't imagine to kill them. You know, mm -hmm. so to not recognize the dignity that every human has, which is from God, allowed mm -hmm. all sorts of uh, horrendous um, atrocities to, and how we treat other people when it's in our own society, especially at this time where, you know, people who are not sort of fulfilling what people think in the job role, because they feel that their dignity comes from what they do, not from yeah. what they are. So yeah. we tend to look at dignity so often what people are, <coughs> are or doing or achieving rather than their very uh, God-given nature. <coughs> yeah, I think that's true, yeah. Yes? With evolution, of course, there's no basic dignity, is there? Initially. The dignity can only come from what people do and what people say. Yeah. Um, I mean, to think of uh, the basic, basic thing about it, from goo to you by way of the zoo, there's no dignity in that at all, is there? Yeah. Uh, in the beginning, God, and then in his image. Yeah, I think any view of the world that says it's all accidental, automatically then the only thing we can do is try to make our own sense of dignity. But all the while we know we're just creating it for ourselves, so what value could it really have? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It is a, an issue of pride. When you're at the top and you can look down on everyone else, it, at that point it's a huge thing to humble yourself and say, none of that really means anything apart from what God has given me. So, yeah. Yes? Yes, yeah, I think that's right. And I suppose the point alongside that, that doesn't mean in uh, 
in preserving someone's dignity that we, don't, we neglect justice in, in the case that you mentioned of the gunman. He has dignity and he also must be given justice. So it's, it's doing it in a way that recognizes the person's dignity. Yeah. I'll ask, any last questions? Shall I pray for the food and then we can eat? Father, we thank you for the view of the world that's given to us in the Bible. We look around us and we see so many who have no assurance at all that they're worth anything at all. We thank you that your word gives us that assurance, and it also points us to you as the center of it all. So I pray that you'll help us um, not just to latch on to the fact that, yes, we are dignified, but to also recognize that all of that comes to us because of who you are and your central position. Help us to give you your rightful place. And we thank you that you are the one who gives and blesses And we thank you that you have blessed us with food to eat this evening. So we give you thanks for it. Amen.